Hello and welcome to the Rugby Gods podcast. I'm John Keenan. No my harimai. Today is September 21st and now let's talk some rugby. Okay, well, two pretty good competitions uh, happening in Australia New Zealand uh, this past weekend. Uh, it was the end, it was the grand final for Super Rugby AU and it was uh, quite a spectacle. It was a very good uh, match. I hope you're able to uh, watch it and or watch the highlights. Uh, and of course, uh, in the New Zealand provincial scene, we've got the Mitre 10 Cup uh, round two or week two uh, of that competition. So yeah, going to you know look through those two uh, different formats or those two different competitions, one at its conclusion uh, in Australia and the other in its infancy uh, in New Zealand. So yeah, let's get into it. Um, I think I'm going to start with uh, Super Rugby AU, uh, give it top billing, uh, pay it some respect, uh, which I hope I did last week as well uh, when I covered the qualifying final uh, between the Reds and Rebels. This week it was the grand final uh, between the Brumbies, uh, the number one team uh, at home, and the Reds, who were the winner uh, last week over the Rebels. So let's get into it and uh, you know check through some of the match stats, some of the player stats, and have a little bit of a talk around the game. Uh, part two will continue on with uh, having a look at uh, the Mitre 10 Cup and how things are going there, uh, you know, for the competition and also for myself uh, as I'm involved in uh, sort of prediction uh, pools, if you will, with that as well. So yeah, let's get into Super Rugby AU. So the grand final. Uh, I must say, I was, you know, just from the outset, uh, pretty pretty impressed uh, with the crowd that turned up. Uh, not exactly sure what kind of restriction there, what kind of restrictions they are on uh, in Canberra. Uh, it seemed like there was some element of, uh, you know, like limitation and or sort of, you know, social distancing, etc. But it wasn't uh, a full blown sort of, uh, you know, quarantined affair. So they got a pretty good crowd in there. It looked like it was essentially um, half full, but like designed to be half full, if you know what I mean. So they got a good crowd uh, with a little bit of social distancing respect. Uh, and yeah, you could really hear the volume. Like you could hear after watching quite a number of games now, um, you know, like the North-South, for example, uh, even the first couple of weeks of the Mitre 10 Cup. Um, and then even, I guess, uh, a number of the Super Rugby AU games being played as, at sort of neutral venues or very large stadia. Um, you know, you, it, you'd kind of gotten familiar, I'd kind of gotten used to uh, a very kind of hollow sort of crowd atmosphere. Uh, but to see essentially uh, sort of uh, a designed half-full stadium, if you will, uh, with really good uh, home crowd support, it was uh, great to see, it was great to hear. And it really added to um, the enjoyment, I think, of, of watching that on uh, on TV or you know through Rugby Pass through the internet. Uh, so yeah, that would just be my initial first thoughts. Well done uh, to Australian Rugby or AR for um, is it AR Australian Rugby? I think it is right uh, for getting um, you know a really good crowd there at GIO and you know making it work. So let's go through some of the match stats to start off with. I guess the very first thing to do is, uh, you know, I'm doing this on a Monday, it's a couple of days after the final, pretty sure if you're interested you probably know the result or you probably should know the result by now. So uh, it was the Brumbies at home to the Reds uh, in the grand final, Super Rugby AU grand final, uh, and it was the Brumbies winning 28-23, so well done to the Brumbies winning it at home, so that was really good for them. Um, so yeah, let's go through the match stats. So if we start with uh, attack stats, it was three tries to two to the Brumbies. Uh, if we have a look at uh, run meters, uh, or meters gained, meters carried, I don't know, there's so many different ways of saying that. I think I'm just going to go with run meters. Uh, so the Brumbies ran for 400 meters, uh, the Reds ran for 329. So yeah, a much lower run count than the week before, which was much more of a back three throw around. It was a bit of a frenzy. Uh, the uh, qualifying final with the Reds and Rebels, uh, but that was good in its own way as well. But this was certainly much more of a uh, you know a tight sort of grand final, if you will. Uh, you know, but like I say, if if teams can run for four hundred meters each, get about eight hundred meters in a game, or you know, sort of four hundred a pop. For the teams playing, usually it's a pretty, pretty interesting, pretty, you know, pretty good contest. Uh, the Brumbies did their job there, running for exactly 400 meters, and the Reds ran for 329. 
So, you know, pretty close to, you know, a, you know what I would consider to be, you know, a good amount of running rugby, uh, ball in hand, metres gained, if you will. Uh, if we have a look at some of the uh, good pieces of rugby with ball in hand, so defenders beaten, clean breaks and offloads, how did the teams fare there? So the Brumbies had 22 defenders beaten, they had 6 clean breaks and they had 7 offloads. Uh, for the Reds they had 23 defenders beaten, 12 clean breaks and 8 offloads. So you have to say there, uh, you know, Reds uh, running for less metres, uh, not by a significant margin, I mean 70 metres less over 80 minutes. It's a little bit, but it's not, you know, completely out of out of the realms of, uh, or, it's, you know, it's not out of the realms of possibility that, you know, you would consider that basically equal. Um, but if you have a look at what they did with ball in hand, the good pieces of rugby, they actually uh, kind of came out slightly ahead uh, of the Brumbies in all three metrics. So, you know, defenders beaten, 22-23 to the Reds, uh, basically nothing in that. Clean breaks, 6 to the Brumbies, 12 to the Reds, that's a sizable uh, advantage, uh, or you would imagine, or it could potentially be a sizable advantage for the Reds, 6-12 uh, there. Uh, and then offloads, 7-8 again, basically even 7-8 to the Reds that is. So the Reds actually won all three of those metrics and were kind of dominant, you'd have to say, in clean breaks. Uh, which is, you know, essentially getting in behind the line, uh, you know, opening up the other team. Uh, and that's a pretty dangerous play, uh, generally speaking, or it can often be. So, you know, Reds did pretty well there. They ran for less meters, but they did a lot more. They did at least a little bit more with the ball. So good to see. Pretty even between the two teams, really. If we go into um, defense, uh, have a look at defense and also uh, basically turnovers conceded, which is, you know, unforced errors and then turnovers won, which is, you know, good pieces of rugby at the breakdown. Uh, let's have a look at those. So we'll start with tackles. So the Brumbies made 104 tackles, the Reds made 112. So, you know, eight extra tackles over 80 minutes, there's not a lot in that. Uh, missed tackles, Brumbies missed 23 tackles, and the Reds missed 22. So again, essentially nothing in that. So the, tack the tackle counts are essentially even. The tackles and missed tackle counts are essentially even between the two teams. Don't think you can really divine too much in that. Let's go to uh, turnovers conceded, the unforced errors, and the turnovers won, good pieces of rugby. So the Brumbies uh, conceded 10 turnovers, and they only won three turnovers. So that kind of gives them a negative seven rating, if you will, uh, when you say look at like bad pieces of rugby and good pieces of rugby there. So Brumbies, 10 turnovers conceded, 3 turnovers won, kind of like a negative 7 rating. Uh, for the Reds, they had 8 turnovers conceded and 4 turnovers won. So that gave them a negative 4 rating, if you will. So again, uh, Reds coming out on top of that, uh, not by a huge margin, probably not by enough to be significant. But again, when you add that to the fact that they were maybe a little bit better or a little bit more creative with ball in hand, uh, and they were a little bit more clinical in terms of uh, unforced errors and even, you know, winning the turnovers uh, won as well. All points towards the Reds being, you know, well and truly in this match, or, you know, they certainly should be, uh, you know, and especially with, you know, even tackle counts, even missed tackle counts. So, yeah, good stuff. Uh, if we move on and have a look at sort of, uh, what can we say, uh, set piece and penalties. So have a look at set piece. Lineouts and scrums, and we'll have a look at uh, discipline, like penalties conceded and any cards. So for the set piece, if we start with lineouts, um, the Brumbies won nine lineouts and lost one. The Reds won eight lineouts and lost four. So that's quite a dagger right there. Uh, for the scrums, uh, the Brumbies won three scrums and lost no scrums. The Reds, they won six scrums and lost one scrum. So you can see, you know, the Brumbies, you know, really uh, a little bit underdone in terms of uh, the Reds had more lineouts uh, to throw into, uh, 12 in total, to 10, uh, and they had less scrum feeds as well, the Brumbies, only 3 versus 7 for the Reds. But they kept a really good sheet, like they basically kept a clean sheet, you know, 9 lineouts won, 1 lineout lost, so, you know, 90% of their lineouts won. Uh, you know, three scrums won and none lost. So very good work uh, at set piece there. We have a look at the Reds, uh, you know, in contrast, uh, you know, eight lineouts won, four lineouts lost. So the lineouts only at 66.7%, so, you know, two thirds. 
uh, and then six scrums won and one scrum lost at 85% on your scrum as well. So certainly, you know, set piece firing uh, much better for the Brumbies there. And, you know, that could be a little bit telling, uh, especially as the Reds were trying to back that line out on a couple of different occasions, uh, basically backing the line out to the corner to then try and score a try. Uh, and then obviously, you know, when you look at their line out success and even like losing a scrum there as well, uh, you know, they, their set piece didn't really come up or, you know, didn't really... They didn't really go well enough in their set piece to justify that. Um, so yeah, if we have a look at the final piece of that puzzle, uh, or what we look at, or what I look at, uh, is the discipline, right? So penalties conceded and cards. So the Brumbies conceded 11 penalties, the Reds conceded 12, so pretty high uh, penalty count there, uh, 23 in total. You want that to probably be more around the 15 mark, which was what we saw last week with the uh, Reds and Rebels. That'll definitely make for a more free-flowing game uh, if you can get it more down towards 15 rather than into the 20s. But it was even. So, you know, Brumbies 11, Reds 12. There's pretty much nothing in that. Both teams conceding, um, you know, quite a high penalty count each, but it was even. Uh, no red cards, and then one yellow card conceded by the Reds, uh, which was, yeah, I think I'll come back to it when I sort of summary through the the important scoring or you know features of the game uh, maybe after the player stats but yeah uh, the yellow card to Dalgunu uh, mm, yeah I'm not so sure about it a uh, bit of a tough call I think I'll come back and talk about it more so let's go to the action areas uh, action areas is that possession stat so it tells you the you know possession but it also tells you where the possession was uh, inside of the match I really enjoy the action areas stat so if we have a look the Brumbies had 51% possession to the Reds 49%. So again, uh, you know, just a, another theme, another fairly common theme in this match, very even. But if we dig into those possession stats, you know, where did each team have its possession, if you know what I mean, uh, inside it, like sort of territorially uh, in the game. Uh, pretty important, uh, as we'll see. So like we said, we'll start with the Brumbies, 51% possession in total. Uh, but if we have a look at um, how much possession was inside the Reds 22, so that's Brumby's ball in hand inside the Reds 22. Uh, the Brumbies had 20.8% possession uh, inside the Reds 22. So that's a huge stat. That's really impressive. Uh, you know, generally speaking, you want that to be at about 10%. If you can have 10% or more, you know, 10-15% uh, of your possession, ball in hand, in your opposition's 22 you're looking very good, and the Brumbies had 20.8%, so that's a huge win for them there. Well, that's a lot of dominance there. Uh, if we go back to the Brumbies 22, so that's Brumbies and Reds uh, with ball in hand in the Brumbies 22, uh, we see only 8.6% of the game total was played in the Brumbies 22. So that's like beautiful rugby. That's exactly what you'd want, I think, as a team for the game or as a coaching staff. You would want something like 10 to 15% ball in hand in your opposition's 22, and you'd want less than 10% of the game in your own 22. And the Brumbies got that. You know, they got 20.8% ball in hand in the Reds 22, and only 8.6% the entire game in their own 22. So that's exceptional. That's really great game management uh, from the Brumbies. Uh, and I might even look a little bit further into that as well, just to paint that picture a little bit clearer uh, soon. But if we flip it around and have a look at the Reds, uh, well, the Reds had 5.6% uh, possession ball in hand in the Brumbies 22. So that's pretty low. Like we just said, 208 for the Brumbies, only 56 for the Reds. Uh, and like I've just said a couple of times there, you want that to be more like 10% plus. So the Reds are only really halfway towards having a, you know, sort of good game, if you will, in terms of, you know, meaningful possession inside the Brumbies 22. Uh, and then if we go back to the Reds 22, so that's Brumbies and Reds ball in hand in the Reds 22, uh, the game is at 26.4% of the game is uh, Brumbies and Reds ball in hand in the Reds 22. So that's far too much. Uh, you really want that to be, you know, like I've just said a few times, around 10% or less if you can. So a huge amount of sort of territorial possession dominance uh, for the Brumbies there which you know, really does you know, paint it or suggest you know, that they were sort of on top of things for a fair amount of this game. 
Um, if we also, you know, yeah, if I look a little bit further in here for the Brumbies, uh, just to paint it hopefully a little bit clearer. Uh, like I said, the Brumbies had 51% possession for the game in total. So essentially, you know, it's 50-50. Both teams are playing sort of half the game with the ball in hand. But if you have a look at the 51% possession for the Brumbies, uh, you've got 41.1% uh, of that 51% is Brumbies ball in hand in the Reds half, if you know what I mean. So there's 20.3% of the game is from halfway to the Reds 22 and 20.8% of the game is inside the Reds 22. So that's a huge amount of possession, like that's a huge amount of dangerous possession. Possession where you can win penalties and kick for points, possession, possession where you can, you know, win penalties and kick into the corner, you know, possession where you can just tap and go, uh, you know, like penalty advantages where you can have almost like free plays to, you know, run wide or kick wide. So, I mean, that's just a huge amount of pressure uh, for the Reds to absorb there. Uh, and then if uh, you add, you know, how much of the game did the Reds play uh, in their own half as well, uh, it becomes 25.9% uh, of the game was Reds ball in hand in their own half. So again, you know, that's not really aggressive possession. That's essentially sort of defensive possession. You're trying to set it up. You're trying to manipulate things. You're trying to expose or, you know, you're trying to set yourself up for, perhaps for, for a kicking game or you are trying to run and pick and go, but it's just not being effective. Uh, you know, it's pretty staunch defense, or you know, you're, you're not making enough breaks and you're not getting a, uh, enough, or, or uh, enough, you're not spending enough time, essentially between halfway and the Brumbies 22, if you will. They, they spent very minimal time there, in fact. Uh, so, you know, if, if you add it all up, you know, you're looking at something like, uh, you know, quite easily looking at 75% plus of the game was played uh, ball in hand inside the Reds half. So, you know, that is, well, you know, more often than not, that's going to tell on the scoreboard. And, you know, I think it's probably going to tell on the scoreboard even more than just a five-point loss uh, more often than not. So, you know, well done Reds uh, for putting in a, a good defensive effort uh, overall uh, or, you know, like making the plays when they needed to make them. But, uh, you know, I think that really does show uh, Brumby's dominance there. So... Yeah, let's, um, and I mean, especially as you add in a card there as well in the second half with, uh, you know, Dalguna getting the card at 50 minutes. It meant 10 minutes with a man down as well for the Reds. So let's have a look at player stats. Uh, just go through, see if we can pick out a few uh, good performers, uh, both in attack and defense. So I'm going to start with the Brumbies, have a look through there. Uh, if we have a look at the back three for the Brumbies, uh, they did very well. Um, so Tom Banks, he scored a try. He ran for 64 metres. Three defenders beaten, two clean breaks. Uh, so a very good performance there from Tom Banks at fullback. Andy Muirhead, uh, he, uh, their right winger, 14. Uh, he scored a try. He ran for 48 metres and he had four defenders beaten. Uh, so, you know, very good work from Andy Muirhead as well. Uh, if we go down to Tom Wright, who was their left winger, uh, he ran for 51 metres, uh, one defender beat and two clean breaks. So quite a lot happening there in the backs uh, for the Brumbies. Um, essentially all three of them running for 50 plus metres and two of them scoring tries. So, you know, very well done there. Um, but yeah, you know, across the board, um, really, um, the, the Brumbies looked pretty good. Uh, almost everybody, well, certainly outside of, of halfback, uh, if you go 10 to 15, basically everybody's running for, you know, 30 plus run meters. And then you've got basically, you know, your back three running for 50 plus. So shared it round uh, and everybody was pretty aggressive, uh, pretty attacking. Uh, if we have a look at the forwards, not too much going on with the forwards. Uh, McCaffrey, uh, their blind side, their six, he ran for 32 meters. That was off 15 carries though, so he was doing a lot of grunt work there. Not really being, uh, you know, that effective, you'd have to say. But, you know, doing some hard, like, gaining some hard meters, doing some hard yards. So good to see that's sort of what your position entails. But, you know, perhaps not that successful, uh, you know, when you say it's 32 meters off 15 carries. Uh, and then I guess, you know, Falaf he was the uh, third try scorer. Uh, well, he was the first try scorer, actually. But, you know, if you take it uh, going down from the back three, I just said two of the back three scored, and so did Falaf uh, the Brumbies hooker, um, you know, scoring off another sort of textbook 
rolling mall drive, uh, you know, the Ala Brumbies. It's, you know, it's what they do, right? Uh, so, you know, he scored another try there at the boot. Um, yeah, but didn't run for too many meters. So, yeah, that's pretty much uh, the Brumbies sort of farmed around the attacking uh, in the backs, and the back three had a pretty good night. Uh, if we have a look, or if we contrast it to the Reds, we have a look at their back three. Uh, it's a lot more minimal. So, you know, Jock Campbell at fullback, he ran for 18 metres. Two defenders beaten, no clean breaks. If we have a look at uh, Jordan Pattaya, he was playing on the right wing, uh, and he ran for 20 metres. Uh, three defenders beaten, one clean break, and a try assist in there, a very good try assist uh, for uh, one of their tries. It was, uh, it was very good to see. Uh, I believe that was for the first Reds try. Yeah, it was for the, the Wilson try. So, uh, pretty good game there from Pattaya, but again, I think he got subbed out. Uh, I think he had some injury issue, uh, maybe in that play, uh, and I don't think he played the full 80. Uh, if you have a look uh, at their left wing, uh, Filippo Dalgunu, like we've said a couple of times there, he picked up the yellow card in the second half, but he still ran for 60 metres uh, with two defenders beaten. Um, so, you know, a reasonable game from him. He's certainly been really, really electric for the Reds. They've been getting, you know, like 80-plus, even 100-plus run metres out of him. So, you know, a good game to run for 60 metres, but obviously uh, a little bit shadowed or a little bit impaired with the, with the yellow card. Uh, and then, you know, perhaps 60 metres is good, but maybe they were really needing an extra 20, extra 30, extra 40 metres uh, from Dalgunu. So I don't think you can play, uh, put the blame on him too much. I think it's really, um, you know, the back three not really doing enough. Uh, and if uh, the other back three, that is, not really doing enough. And if you have a look at Bryce Hegarty, you know, he, he came on and he only ran for 13 metres as well. So he's basically their sort of utility, uh, you know, like backup back three guy. So, you know, Jock Campbell, Pattaya, I think picking up the injury, and uh, Hegarty, their reserve, uh, all three of them running for 20 metres or less. It's uh, not a lot of production from your back three, relying too much on Dalgunu uh, and, you know, paying the price there. If you have a look uh, in the forwards, um, again, not too much going on there. Harry Wilson ran for 31 metres and scored a try. Uh, Fraser McGrate, uh, who would be there at 7, they're open. They're open side. He ran for 39 metres on 7 carries. Pretty reasonable. Um, but yeah, didn't get too much from Luke Wright uh, at blindside. Uh, didn't get too much from uh, your locks either, although Angus Blythe did pick up a pretty fortuitous sort of uh, knockback, knock-on kind of try. Uh, so, you know, he only ran for four metres on four carries, but he did score a try. So, you know, well done to him. Uh, that was uh, the Reds' lock, or one of the locks for the Reds. Um, but yeah, you know, not really getting a lot from your locks, from your six uh, there. Uh, Taniana Tupo, Taniala Tupo, sorry, um, who's, you know, a real power runner uh, as a uh, loose head prop. He ran for 33 metres off 10 carries. Uh, but again, maybe a little bit underpowered from him. I think the Reds have really been looking for sort of 50 plus meters out of Tupo and maybe, you know, 80 plus meters out of Dalgunu. And they were probably sort of 20 meters short from both players and nobody else really stepped up uh, in terms of, you know, the Reds and their run meters on attack. Uh, if we have a look at the fence, see who led things for the Brumbies. Uh, you know, again, like not a huge amount of tackling in this one, you know, around about that 100 tackles for the game, like roughly, sort of similar to the week before. So not huge defensive shifts needed uh, from either team. Um, Alan Alatoa, I think, led it for the Brumbies. He had uh, 10 tackles, two missed tackles and a turnover. Uh, and he did that from uh, the loose head. He did that from loose head prop. So, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, and then really there's just a, a huge number of guys uh, basically on eight or nine tackles. It was really, you know, pretty evenly farmed around. Uh, basically, the entire back row uh, made eight or nine tackles uh, for the Brumbies. Uh, I guess Will Miller, shout out, uh, nine tackles, three missed tackles, a little bit high uh, for a seven, perhaps, uh, but two turnovers, one, so that's pretty key. So I think, yeah, you've got to give him a bit of a shout out for his turnover work there. Uh, but yeah, you know, basically, Alan Alatoa, the only one to tackle 10+. plus. Uh, and then, you know, two turnovers for Will Miller. That's pretty much what the Brumbies were doing uh, on defense. Uh, if you have a look at the Reds, uh, again, uh, I think last week Hamish Stewart from 12 
you know, I said, you know, fairly quiet uh, attacking-wise, but really good defensively, or certainly high tackle count defensively. Uh, and he was very high again. Uh, again, he led the Reds from 12 uh, in the tackle count, and in fact, he led the match. He made 14 tackles and two missed tackles. So, you know, well done, Hamish Stewart from 12. Um, certainly a very, uh, you know, certainly very busy on defense, puts in a lot of tackles for the Reds. That's two weeks in a row uh, in two big games where he's essentially leading the tackle count. Uh, who else made tackles? Uh, again, pretty well farmed around by the Reds uh, and a few more in the forwards who did manage to make it to double figures. So you had Harry Wilson make 10 tackles with one missed tackle and a turnover. Uh, Fraser McRae made 10 tackles and 2 missed tackles. Uh, you had Angus Blythe, the tri-scorer, the tri-scoring lock. He made 11 tackles, no missed tackles, and a turnover 1. So, you know, that's a pretty good game from, from your lock. Although you have to say, uh, if you go back or remember the lineouts and how bad that was, then you've got to put your hand up there as a starting lock and say, you know, maybe some of that is my fault. But, uh, you know, not doing line-out core roles. Uh, but in terms of being around the field, you know, scoring a try... Uh, making 11 tackles and getting a turnover one, that's a pretty good game. Uh, and then J.P. Smith, uh, their uh, tight head prop, he made 10 tackles, uh, one missed tackle, and two turnovers one. So, you know, shout out to the tight head prop there for the Reds. So, yeah, you can, I mean, you can see uh, four of the Reds starting eight made 10-plus tackles, uh, which is good to see. Or, you know, that's certainly a pretty good um, all-round defensive shift there from uh, the Reds. Although it must be said, uh, if you have a look at some of the missed tackles, uh, Taniala Tupo, um, you know, like I said, a little bit underpowered in terms of run meters, in terms of what probably the Reds would be hoping to get out of him. Uh, he also, he made six tackles and he missed five tackles. And I definitely saw him involved in falling off a couple of tackles, uh, essentially in the, in the very direct build up or lead up uh, to, you know, Brumby's tries. So he'd be pretty disappointed because at least two of those missed tackles were pretty major or essentially resulted in tries uh, to the Brumbies. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's a, a bit of a go through uh, the attack and defense of the individuals. Um, and I think it's a bit of a, a look over the team stats and, and looking at that Brumbies dominance in terms of uh, the possession stat or the territorial part of the possession stat. Um, so yeah, hopefully that gave you a few insights and painted a bit of a picture as to why I think the Brumbies probably deserve to win it, right? Uh, I think if you watched that game or watched extended highlights, I think you wouldn't have too much of a problem with the Brumbies uh, winning that one. Of course, the Reds definitely had the opportunity to steal it towards the end. Um, they had a couple of options uh, in that final 10 minutes. Uh, they did get a penalty, which was a very kickable penalty. Uh, they were down by five, so had they taken the points, they would still have been down by two, but they certainly would have given themselves at least... Uh, five if not six minutes to essentially get back into the Brumbies you know into the Brumbies half and perhaps kick a long-range penalty to win it and or a drop goal etc so that was one option they had at about 72 73 minutes they decided not to take it they you know went into the corner they tried they tried they tried they were just attacking uh, a huge amount in that last sort of five minutes uh, but the Brumbies were good enough to hold them out uh, and then, you know, there was a pretty late, uh, you know, Reds turnover as well uh, in back play, which was, you know, that sealed the deal. That was, you know, that was the end of the game, basically, with a minute and a half to go. It was, a, you know, a Brumby scrum, sort of like 35, 40 metres out from the Reds line, which never really got set. Uh, and by the time, you know, the Brumbies could release that ball from a couple of scrums, it was full time. And, you know, that was game over. Brumbies kicked it out and won it. So, yeah, I think the Reds, well, you know, obviously if they had hammered away in the Brumbies 22 and had been good enough to get over for a try, which they were very close to doing on one or two occasions, well, it would have been 28 all with a kick to come and the Reds would have looked very good or, you know, like it would have looked like a very good play. But I think in finals rugby, uh, you know, I, I, you know, personally I would have said, hey, let's take the three. It's, it was a very give me three, essentially, you know, you're inside the 22, inside the 15s. Think it was going to be an automatic three hey this is going to lock the game up you know two point game with at least five minutes of you know regular time to play here you know i think we should be good enough to get back down into the brumbies you know 22 the brumbies half at least one more time in this last five minutes and from there well you know maybe we 
maybe we get a lucky call or maybe we get a justified call from the referee or maybe we just manipulate space we score a try and or you know put somebody in position to drop a goal so you know they could have given themselves maybe a few more options in that final sort of five minutes rather than you know kicking to the corner and it's like we have to score we have to score we can't take the penalty we must score we must score but uh, you know like that uh, would have been should have been could have been maybe right but I think you know overall Brumbies would have been pretty hard done by uh, if they'd lost that match. I think they they definitely uh, were, were they had parity and or dominated uh, most areas of that game. I think really only the Reds, basically the Reds playing sort of with a little bit less ball. Well, not really. I guess possession was pretty much 50-50, but you know running for less meters, but but being more creative. I think you know that's what you can hat tip the Reds for for sure. But other than that, I think, you know, the Brumbies set piece, the Brumbies, you know, discipline, it was all sort of even or better uh, than the Reds, uh, you know, and they ran for more metres, etc. They scored more tries. So, you know, I think they deserve to win that by five. Seems pretty fair to me. Uh, so just to recap the game, uh, so the try scoring or the very key important moments, just the way that I saw it, um, like we just said before, it was 28-23 to the Brumbies at full time. It was 15-13 to the Brumbies at halftime, so, you know, pretty close match throughout. Uh, but, you know, the Brumbies scored first in the 17th minute to Falau Fainga, their hooker, off a rolling ball, like classic Brumbies play. They backed that up in the 26th minute with a try to Muirhead, their, uh, their winger, who was, you know, it was a pretty nice, didn't really, what could you say? I mean, it was just essentially, there wasn't a hell of a lot on. Uh, and, the, and it was basically, I think it was Lalicio there, their 10, with a little bit of a goose and then a pot ball. And then Muirhead just finished from sort of 10 metres out, beat at least two, if not three, defenders to, to score, which was a little bit soft from the Reds. And like I said, unfortunately, Taniala Tupo was definitely, uh, you know, you could point a finger there and say, hey, how, as you, as a prop, how did you not put, you know, a winger on the ground there? He basically ran through Tupo uh, and one or two others and was good enough to score from 10 metres out. Probably shouldn't have scored that one. So that was two tries, or the first two tries um, to the Brumbies. They were looking pretty good after sort of like 25, 30 minutes. But uh, the Reds did respond with a try to Wilson, although really, uh, again, it was pretty broken play, pretty scrappy. And really that was uh, Jordan Pataya's try. Um, you know, he was just electric, uh, cut through the line, and then provided a great little offload, little chicken wing offload. Uh, to you know Wilson to score uh, running off him so that was pretty great for the Reds and pretty good for the game uh, and then uh, James O'Connor also knocked over a penalty basically right at full time in terms of the first half I think that was sort of like injury time in the first half so that got them back to 15-13 after they had had I think a 15-3 deficit there at one stage so you know Reds did pretty well in that last 10 minutes of the first half to really get back into the game uh, and then the 20 minutes after halftime was really exciting. Uh, you know, the, the game from 40 minutes to, to 60 minutes was just full on. Like, there was a lot going on. So, you know, Tom Banks scored the Brumbies' third try. Uh, again, that was a pretty well-worked try. Um, you know, they had some penalty advantage. Uh, then they, they sort of did a cross-field kick, didn't work out too much, kept playing, uh, kept playing to the whistle, if you will. Uh, won a won a penalty for the Reds holding on, took a quick tap, recycled the ball a couple of times, manipulated space, got it out to the backs, and you know Tom Banks was good enough in open space uh, to crash over again. I believe Tani Alatupo was maybe a culprit there uh, as one of the missed tacklers, uh, and that was the Brumbies' third try, and that was at 45 minutes, and it was looking. Uh, starting to look a little bit dangerous uh, for the Brumbies there, you know, being up and being at home, uh, and, you know, three tries to one at that stage. Uh, the 49th minute, Lalicio uh, dropped a goal, so that was uh, pretty important as well. Uh, and, you know, things were really looking, you know, pretty solid uh, for the Brumbies. Straight from the restart, uh, Filippo Dalgunu was yellow-carded for uh, a tip tackle, or, uh, which I really think was just not a good call. I don't think that was a yellow card at 50 minutes. Um, you know, if you want to go to the letter of the law, yes, I think you could say he got his legs up above the horizontal, but it was very half-hearted, and he didn't pile drive him, or, you know, like with any anger into the ground. Um, and the tip tackle, essentially, he landed straight flush on his shoulder. There was, like, no head involved. 
there wasn't even head involved like secondarily after the shoulder so it really was a pretty you know like it was the letter of the law says you know if you're if you tip tip the legs over the horizontal over the 90 degree then you know it's a yellow card but I think in a final and with essentially a very passive tackle in the scheme of things um, that should not have been given but it was uh, so you know that was a pretty horror run there that first sort of five ten minutes after half time for the Brumbies I uh, sorry for the Reds was uh, was pretty terrible uh, and then you know five minutes later with Dalgunu in the bin or in uh, having that yellow card um, Lalicia was able to kick another penalty and that got it out to 28-13 at 55 minutes. So that first 15 minutes after half time, you know, the, the Brumbies were able to pile on 13 points and really get out in the match by, uh, by 15. Uh, the Reds were good enough in the 64th minute uh, to score uh, a try, get their second try to Blythe, which was pretty much like a really awesome run from Tate McDermott, the uh, Reds halfback. Uh, full of energy, he's a great running halfback, uh, he showed it, uh, got the pop ball back and it came off a knee, like a Brumby's knee, and then Blythe was basically just running through, uh, picked up the loose ball and scored, so you know, a bit of an accidental try there, uh, if you will, uh, but you know, good enough to take it, uh, and that certainly got the game a lot closer, and then O'Connor was able to, to kick some penalties as well uh, in the back end there as well. Uh, to you know, get it up to uh, 23, so or kick at least one. Sorry, he kicked one penalty uh, along with that converted try, uh, which got them up to 23, 28. Uh, but they weren't able to score anything more after that. Like I said, I probably would have. You know, O'Connor was kicking very well for the night. Uh, you know, when you've got sort of seven or eight minutes left in a final, uh, you five down. I think you take those points and you know try and get yourself back into the Brumbies half the Brumbies 22 and that final five minutes and then you know perhaps you can push for a drop goal perhaps you can push for a penalty if you get one if you know what I mean or even a try if you're good enough but that's not what the Reds decided to do and unfortunately that you know they weren't able to get that third try and get the win so you know well done to the Brumbies I uh, really enjoyed that game actually uh, and like I said I enjoyed the crowd you know, the crowd energy, you could tell that it meant quite a lot to the players and seemed to mean quite a lot to the crowd. They seemed very jovial and, you know, very parochial. So good to see from the Australian supporters there and the, the Canberra supporters, I guess, and uh, specifically. Uh, and, yeah, you know, like it, uh, it really does, uh, you know, give me confidence that, you know, the, the model of having, you know, Super Rugby AU and Super Rugby Aotearoa is not, a, not really that much of a short-term model or a quick fix. I think actually, you know, Australian teams love playing each other and they love, you know, getting a winner out of the Australian teams. And, you know, the New Zealand teams obviously love playing each other and, you know, getting a winner. And then really the, the only, really the only thing is then just the work around, like, how do you make the finals work from there? Like, do you then move on and have, say, the top two from Australia and the top two from New Zealand play semi-finals and a final for crossover matches? Or do you just have, you know, the winner of Super Rugby AU play the winner of Super Rugby Aotearoa? I'm not sure. Um, but I think, you know, that's for the two unions or that's for Australia and New Zealand to decide. Uh, but I really do think that, you know, essentially retaining uh, what has been done this year uh, in 2020 with the coronavirus or the COVID-19, you know, crisis, I think it's a pretty good template for, certainly for 2021 at least, uh, and the only thing that really needs to happen is that Super Rugby Aotearoa has, you know, finals, uh, much like Super Rugby AU did. I think they showed that that's a better model. Uh, and then it's just the logical extension of having, say, winner v winner. So, i.e., you know, who wouldn't want to see, say, you know, the Brumbies v Crusaders, uh, you know, in a follow-up match. Uh, you know, I think everybody would like to see that match. So, yeah, like, not too much that needs to be tweaked, I don't think, for... Super Rugby as it is at present, uh, which is essentially just trans-Tasman Rugby. Uh, I don't think too much really needs to be tweaked for 2021. Um, yeah, and so I think, you know, Super Rugby AU showed a bit of value towards the end there. And, uh, you know, I think the Reds and Brumbies certainly showed that they would be competitive and be pretty useful against the top two, top three uh, New Zealand teams. So, you know, there you go. That's just, you know, that's my pick. I don't really think, you know, the five New Zealand teams are that much more dominant than, say, the quality Australian teams. They might be uh, a, f f a fair amount uh, past or higher higher up than, say, the force, 
uh, and even you know the Waratahs and Rebels. But I certainly think when you get to the quality end of um, you know the Australian competition, there's not that much difference between say you know the the top three in New Zealand and say the top two in Australia. So I would like to see some finals crossover for 2021 for sure. So yeah, um, that is me uh, pretty much stopping there. That was a, a 40 minute blast uh, about Super Rugby AU. So there you go. Hopefully that's uh, some good content for you uh, if you're an Australian listener uh, or just, you know, anybody in the world there. Uh, hopefully I did that justice. Uh, and once again, you know, congratulations to the Brumbies for being uh, Super Rugby AU champions. So yeah, going to take a break. That's basically the end of part one. Uh, and I'm going to come back with a part two focusing on um, the Mitre 10 Cup week two or round two uh, in the New Zealand provincial scene. Part two. The Mitre 10 Cup. Alright, so let's have a look at the Mitre 10 Cup Week 2 or Round 2, uh, the New Zealand Provincial Competition. So we're going to have a pretty quick look at this. Uh, there's uh, seven games every week. Uh, I'm going to go through those seven games. I'll tell you the scores uh, and then also talk about what did I predict, like what were my predictions for those seven matches as I've got a Mitre 10 Cup pool called the Halston Park Challenge on the Superbrew website. So, you know, if you're into a little bit of prediction uh, or like sort of like fantasy rugby or uh, prediction rugby, uh, if you're on Superbrew, then, you know, please see uh, see if you can find Halston Park Challenge uh, and I'll accept you into my uh, pool there. Uh, but yeah, basically, let's uh, go through what we're doing uh, in terms of week two here. So, yeah, first thing to do is just to go through, tell you the results. Uh, then I'll come back and have a look at community expectation. So that's the, I believe there's about 10,000 people on Superbrew playing, uh, you know, uh, Mitre 10 Cup prediction, if you will. Um, so yeah, I'll go through the community expectation and then I'll tell you uh, my, my prediction. You know, like what did I say for a margin? Did I get the win point? Did I get a margin point? Etc. So yeah, I'll go through that, just how close, how accurate was I? So let's start it all off. Um, so first game of week two or round two. I'm not sure if I should be calling it week two or round two. I think I've got to make a decision on that. Uh, I think I'll go with just rounds. So I think I might try and just say rounds from now on. So yeah, the Mighty Ten Cup uh, round two, uh, just the weekend being, which was uh, the weekend. Uh, the first game was on a Friday. So there's a Friday night game. There's three Saturday games, one being a Saturday night game. And then there's three Sunday afternoon games. Uh, two games are played at the same time. Like there's two early Sunday afternoon games. And then there's one late Sunday afternoon game. So, you know, that's pretty much how it rolls these days. Um, so seven games. One on the Friday night, three on the Saturday, and three on the Sunday. So first game was Tasman at home to Northland. Uh, and Tasman looked very good. Uh, so Tasman won that 54-21. Uh, so yeah, huge, huge win for Tasman, like just looking a million dollars there. Uh, second match was Waikato at home to North Harbour, and it was 41-19 to Waikato. So again, Waikato also looking very good there. Uh, second home match for them, second win. Uh, and that's the second win against Premiership teams as well. So well done, Waikato. Uh, third match was Canterbury at home to Taranaki in the first Ranfilly Shield Challenge of the Mighty Ten Cup. Uh, and it was 23-22 to Taranaki, so a pretty huge upset there. Taranaki won the shield, they won the Ranfilly shield, they took it off Canterbury in Christchurch. So very impressive work from uh, Taranaki there, uh, and that was definitely an underdog uh, pick, uh, if you picked it. Uh, so well done. Obviously Taranaki having the services uh, of their All Blacks, primarily uh, you know, Bowden Barrett at 10 and Geordie Barrett at 15, and uh, those two were pretty instrumental uh, throughout the game as well. Uh, Canterbury also having its All Blacks, so it was quite a stellar, stellar little battle there. Uh, but Taranaki, good enough to come out. The winners there hold on, if you will. They actually controlled quite a lot of that game. So it wasn't sort of a you know, last-minute come-from-behind, steal-it-at-the-death kind of thing. It was more like Taranaki in control of this for most of it. Uh, and you know, Canterbury trying to get themselves back into the game and, and get a late win. So well done Taranaki, very deserving uh, Ranfilly Shield winners. Uh, you know, they won the first challenge of the season. Pretty disappointing for me, must say, uh, a little note there, because my Wellington team, my beloved Wellington team at the provincial level, was going to have the second Shield challenge. 
uh, in round four. So yeah, a little bit disappointed that Taranaki uh, pipped us there and, and took it off Canterbury in the first Shield Challenge of the season. So no Shield Challenge for Wellington uh, in round four uh, and no Shield Challenge uh, on the horizon uh, unless other teams come and take it off Taranaki, which is certainly possible because, you know, there's still eight rounds left in the regular season, if you will, and Taranaki's going to have to defend, uh, what, at least four? They're going to have to have at least four Shield Challenges uh, between now and the end of the season or the end of the regular season uh, in the Mighty Ten Cup. So, yeah, it could be pretty interesting. could be some shield movement for sure. Uh, sorry about that, talking a little bit too much, but it was a pretty awesome game. Uh, fourth game uh, was Bay of Plenty, so that's the third Saturday game. It's the Saturday night game. It was Bay of Plenty at home to Southland, the surprise winners from the week before. Uh, and Bay of Plenty won that 17-14, so what a dogfight that was. Uh, I think most people expected Bay of Plenty to probably come out and, and win that kind of efficiently. Uh, you know, but Southland, very nuggety, uh, got the win uh, round one and then, you know, were good enough to stay with the Premiership team, Bay of Plenty, the, uh, the championship champions from 2019 who are the newly promoted Premiership team. So, you know, Southland good enough to be very competitive in that match, so well done. Uh, On to the, the Sunday games, uh, there was two games, like, so the first two games played concurrent, uh, played together or at the same time. Uh, was Hawke's Bay at home to Counties Manukau, and Hawke's Bay won that 31-17, which I think is pretty standard pick, or a lot of people were kind of picking that. Uh, the other game playing at, at the same time was Manawatu at home to Otago, and Otago won that 36-25. So again, I think most people picking Otago to win that one away against Manawatu. So both of those games pretty much went to form. Perhaps Hawke's Bay winning by 14 is uh, a few more than some people would have thought, and perhaps even Otago winning away by 11 after they were really manhandled. They were destroyed in the opening week by Auckland. Uh, so, you know, probably uh, Hawke's Bay and Otago kind of overachieving for their wins, but their wins were kind of expected, I think. Uh, and then leaves us with the final game, which was the late match, the late Sunday game, or the late Sunday afternoon game, which was Auckland at home to Wellington. And Wellington put on a clinic, uh, and they responded beautifully from um, you know their first round the loss their first round uh, hammering really uh, at the hands of Waikato uh, they won away in Auckland they won 39-21 so they won very comfortably in the end it was uh, quite a dominant performance um, you know and they, they looked the goods um, you know after perhaps the first sort of 10-15 minutes you know pretty much that entire game was really Wellington's uh, and they just looked really great so a huge uh, performance from Wellington, really turning the tables, uh, you know, a one-week turnaround uh, in terms of performance there was uh, really exceptional. Uh, pretty good for Wellington as well because they played two away games. Uh, their first two rounds were away games for them, and they were two away games against premiership teams. So that means that Wellington now gets to, you know, they've still got five home games for the season, um, and they've played... Uh, two of their six you know, premiership uh, teams that they have to play. So they've still got four championship teams to play, so you know, sort of like B division teams to play, and they've got five of their remaining eight games at home. So those are some good things uh, if you're a Wellington supporter, um, you know, and to, to get a bonus point win, uh, and in fact get a bonus point against Waikato, even though they got blown out by 20-plus points. Uh, you know, comfortably handled by Waikato, they actually got a bonus point for scoring four tries. So a different bonus point scoring system uh, is played in Mighty Cup. So Wellington actually scored four tries, got a bonus point, even though they really, you know, received a hiding uh, by Waikato in round one. And then uh, they were also good enough to, you know, win and get and win with a bonus point against Auckland. So that's, you know, it's pretty nice for, it's a pretty nice start for them considering, uh, you know, the way they played, the ups and downs that they played in the first two rounds. So yeah, let's have a quick look through uh, the community expectation here. So Tasman to beat Northland, there was a 95% expectation that that would happen. It was pretty much a lockpick. Waikato to beat North Harbour, a 95% expectation after their very impressive performance in round one versus Wellington. So two lockpicks there, and I picked both of those. I didn't pick the margins. Um, you know, the margins were pretty big, uh, favoring Tasman and Waikato, but you know, I got the win points. Uh, third match, Canterbury, or Taranaki, to beat Canterbury in the Ranfilly Shield. That was a huge underdog pick, so only 12% expectation of that. 
I did not get the win point for that. Uh, Bay of Plenty to beat Southland at home. That was a 74% expectation. Probably should have been a little bit higher, although, you know, 17-14, it was a, a real dogfight. So I got the win point there. Uh, did not get the margin. I thought Bay of Plenty would win that by more. Uh, Hawks Bay to beat Counties Manukau at home. Uh, that was a 68% expectation. Uh, I got the win point there. I didn't get the margin, uh, as the margin was quite high, 14, 14 points for Hawke's Bay, which I think is, you know, over overachieving. Uh, you know, so well done, Hawke's Bay. Um, Otago to beat Manawatu away. 58% uh, expectation that Otago would do that after their mauling at the hands uh, of Auckland the week before. They responded very well and beat uh, a fellow championship team away. So they did that. I got the win point. I picked that, but I didn't pick the margin, which was plus 11. Again, I think uh, Otago overperforming in terms of the margin there. Uh, and then the final match, uh, Wellington to win away uh, against Auckland. Uh, that was a huge underdog pick. Only 8% picked Wellington to win in Auckland. Uh, and I was not one of them. Uh, I picked them to beat Waikato in Hamilton. I was pretty disgusted with the performance I saw last week and I am very impressed with the performance I saw last week from Auckland. I really didn't give Wellington a shot there at all, uh, you know, turning up at Auckland round two. Uh, second week on the road, uh, but wow, you know, very impressive to win that 39-21, uh, a big statement, that was over an Auckland team, you know, like full of All Blacks as well, so, you know, yeah, well done Wellington there towards the finish, so essentially, you know, I picked five of seven uh, outcomes there, or five of seven matches, uh, I, I didn't pick Taranaki to beat Canterbury in the Radford Shield, 12% uh, expectation, and I didn't pick Wellington, my own team, my home team, to beat Auckland away, which was an 8% expectation. So yeah, uh, betting against my own team or, you know, predicting against my own team. Not, not something I'm proud of, but, you know, I try and do this with my head rather than my heart on most occasions. So yeah, that's pretty much, um, you know, like how things rolled out in round two. I'm going to have a quick go through or have a quick look at the games for round three. Um, and yeah, let's see what we've got. So the Friday night game will be Wellington at home to Bay of Plenty. So that's going to be two premiership teams. That's going to be, you know, Wellington uh, at home for the first time this year. And they will be playing uh, Bay of Plenty who, you know, lost to Taranaki uh, in round one. And then were very unconvincing uh, at home to Southlands. Uh, but they are the newly promoted premiership team, the championship champions from 2019. Uh, Wellington were the losing premiership finalists uh, from 2019. Uh, so yeah, it'll be pretty interesting. Uh, should be a bit of a tight tussle. Uh, I think for round three, the All Blacks will be not available, or most of the All Blacks. Uh, maybe a few peripheral or fringe squad All Blacks may be available. But uh, I think Wellington will probably lose out more than Bear Plenty uh, in terms of that. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, Wellington certainly looked pretty classy across the board, uh, certainly in that back line um, against uh, Auckland uh, yesterday, that being the Sunday, uh, September 20th. Um, so I think they'll be pretty buoyed by that. Uh, they're probably only losing Perinara at halfback. Uh, the remainder of their, of their back line should be intact. Uh, you know, Bad Plenty are also very creative, generally speaking. They've got a lot of exciting players. So hopefully it'll be uh, you know one for the backline purists or one for the backs, one for the backs on uh, Friday night. So yeah, that's going to be the first game. Uh, I think I'm going to pick Wellington to win that one at home and continue on with their good form. Bay of Plenty have been a bit scratchy over the first two rounds. So let's get into the Saturday games. Uh, so we've got uh, Tasman. So the first Saturday game is Tasman at home to Waikato. Uh, from Nelson, that should be a really good game. Uh, both teams are 2-0, two, two wins each, uh, and two very dominant wins. Um, you know, Tasman, it must be said, has beaten, uh, you know, Northland and uh, who would they win? The first, uh, counties. So they won, they beat Counties in the first round and they beat Northland in the second round. That was a home match and an away match, uh, but that's against two championship teams. So, you know, you've got to take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt there, I think. Whereas Waikato has had two home games, but there have been two home games uh, against premiership teams, i.e. Wellington and Harbour, or North Harbour, uh, and they've gone and won, and they've won big. Like They've had two very uh, storming wins at home against premiership teams. So, you know, if anybody's going to come to Nelson and beat the current 
you know, uh, Premiership champions from 2019, Tasman. Uh, I think it might be Waikato. I think this could be a really good match. Uh, afternoon rugby on a Saturday. Hopefully, you know, both teams can, you know, really come to the party and bang. Uh, I think it should be pretty exciting. I am sticking with Tasman, though. Uh, they've got a pretty, pretty great record at home uh, over the last few years. Uh, Waikato will be, out, will be without a couple of very key All Blacks, uh, or for them. Um, so, you know, I think Tasman will definitely have more squad cover, more squad quality. Uh, and they'll be playing at home, so I kind of back them to to win it close over Waikato. But it should be, you know, probably should be match of the round, I think. Uh, if we have a look at the fourth match, it will be uh, Southland at home to North Harbour. So, you know, pretty interesting. Harbour has, you know, started with two losses. Uh, they've got to travel down to Invercargill, where Southland were very good in round one. And obviously, you know, Southland started with a win and then a very, you know, a close loss, really pushing Bad Plenty hard. Um, so they'll be very buoyed. I think it'll be quite tight, but I'm pretty sure the quality of North Harbour, you know, will come to the fore there, and I think, you know, Harbour will win that one. Uh, the fifth match, uh, the third, no, sorry, the fourth match, the uh, third Saturday game will be Hawke's Bay at home to Canterbury. Uh, so Canterbury are going to be feeling this one on two fronts. The first is they'll feel it in terms of personnel. They're going to lose a lot of All Blacks. Um, that will not be available in this round three match and then psychologically they'll be kind of damaged from you know a pretty poor performance against Taranaki not really controlling that always trying to come from behind in that match basically dominated really um, you know so they weren't good enough to, to win it at the death and they were really kind of dominated for large periods of that match at home um, so I think you know they're going to be kind of damaged on two fronts um, you know they're going to be missing personnel and they're going to be psychologically down from losing the shield so I think Hawks Bay are in with a bit of a shout here but uh, you know Canterbury has a lot of quality uh, has a lot of pride and I think they'll be very wounded so you know I think Hawks Bay are going to be in with a shout but I'm still backing Canterbury to you know right the ship and correct things uh, into the Sunday games uh, you've got Auckland at home to Manawatu so that's Premiership v Championship Auckland at home for the second week in a row and again, I think you're going to see Auckland bounce back pretty hard here and, you know, go big or like, you know, win by a considerable margin over Manawatu at home, uh, right the wrongs of their match against Wellington from the weekend just being. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, the sixth match of the round uh, is going to be Taranaki at home to Otago in round three, which will mean that it's a run for the shield challenge for Otago. So that's really huge. Uh, you know, Taranaki only gets a week with the shield before they have to defend it. Um, but, you know, it's going to be second week away for Otago. Um, I think Taranaki's going to have the juice. I think they've got a pretty good squad. They are obviously going to be losing some very key All Blacks in terms of the Barrett brothers, even Tupuva'i, uh, and maybe one or two others as well. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, Otago probably doesn't have the ammunition to come up uh, to Taranaki and take the shield off them. I think Taranaki will be really buoyed by that shield win over Canterbury in Canterbury uh, and I think they'll be able to defend it uh, you know in Inglewood as they're not playing in New Plymouth this season so yeah I would pick a close win to Taranaki there final match uh, will be Counties Manukau at home to Northland a couple of championship teams uh, to close it out uh, Counties have two losses Northland have a win and a loss uh, pretty tough one to pick actually um, I think you'd probably have to say Northland uh, might be might be able to do a number on counties and uh, you know win away. Uh, I think I'll be probably picking a close win to Northland there over counties, but you know that really could go either way. I think so. You know, just to recap those games for um, basically the weekend coming, so it will be Friday, twenty fifth of September, through to Sunday, twenty seventh of September. It will be the Mitre Ten Cup Round Three. What do I think is going to happen? So I think Wellington at home to Bay of Plenty, Wellington for the win. Tasman at home to Waikato, Tasman for the win. Uh, Southland at home to North Harbour, North Harbour for the win away. Uh, Hawke's Bay at home to Canterbury, Canterbury for the win away. Auckland at home to Manawatu, Auckland for the win. Uh, Taranaki at home to Otago, ran for the Shield Challenge, Taranaki to retain the shield and win at home 
and counties at home to Northland, Northland to Winaway. That's my picks there. So yeah, I think I'll pretty much leave it at that. Um, you know, Mitre 10 Cup up and running, two rounds in. Uh, plenty of upsets, or you know, yeah, plenty of upsets, plenty of people, or like plenty of teams uh, winning and losing. Uh, if we have a look at the 14 teams, uh, there are 14 teams, they play crossover matches, but it is a premiership of seven and a second level championship of seven. Uh, but if we have a look through here, um, let's have a look at who's undefeated. So we've got Waikato, uh, two wins from two, with two bonus points as well. So very impressive, very impressive start from Waikato. Uh, and that's two bonus point wins over two premiership teams. So very well done, Waikato. Uh, Taranaki, two wins from two, uh, including a Ranfurly Shield Challenge, uh, going down to Canterbury and winning. Very, very well done. Uh, and Tasman are two wins from two as well. Uh, the standings that I'm looking at have Tasman as eight points, but I believe they're on more than that because they've had two very big wins. Certainly sure they've scored four tries or more in both their matches against uh, Counties and Northland. So I think they're on ten points as well uh, with Waikato. Uh, but yeah, so well done to Waikato, Taranaki, and Tasman. Uh, there's a lot of teams in there with one win, one loss. Uh, then if we go to the bottom, uh, Manawatu have uh, one win, uh, sorry, no wins and two losses, uh, but they do have a competition point. Uh, counties have uh, no wins, two losses, and no competition points. And North Harbour, a premiership team, have uh, no wins, two losses, and no competition points. So yeah, just the three teams unbeaten, just the three teams yet to have a win, uh, and then eight teams in the middle there with you know a win and a loss and some bonus points uh, to differentiate them. So yeah, you know already after two rounds, uh, quite a lot of topsy turvy results, and you know I think there'll be one or two more that get thrown up uh, in round three. Uh, certainly think that Tasman Waikato game is going to be very very close. Uh, you know you could definitely make the argument that Waikato is good enough to come down to Nelson and win that one. Uh, you know, Hawke's Bay at home, uh, second week in a row at home uh, to a wounded Canterbury. You know, that could work either way. Like, Canterbury could really respond very well, uh, which you would kind of expect them to because they're that kind of quality organisation. Uh, but it also could be psychologically dam damaging. They could be a little bit empty after losing the shield and uh, Hawke's Bay might be able to pounce there. Uh, and then obviously, you know, Taranaki Otago with a shield challenge. Otago in the last, you know, over the last sort of five, ten years has actually been a pretty good shield team. Has, uh, you know, won the shield a couple of times after a very long period of not being able to win the shield. Um, so, you know, that could definitely be, um, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of a black one, a black spot there for, for Taranaki to watch out for. Um, they're obviously going to be riding very high after the Renfrew Shield win, and then you've got to back it up. You've got to turn around and back it up like one week later with the defense. So that could be a very good game as well. So yeah, certainly there's a, a few games in, in, in the balance there, I think. Uh, and I guess, yeah, just to finish out there, not that it's that important, but uh, you know the final match of the round, which is the two championship teams, uh, counties at home to Northland, I think that's also a very much a 50-50 kind of game. So there's a lot of tough matches to try and predict there, I think, in round three. But good luck to everybody who is doing that uh, through Superbrew. So yeah, going to peace out there, uh, pretty much an hour if you've listened to the two parts. So thanks for listening if you did. Um, I'm doing these podcasts on Anchor FM, so please, uh, if you are listening to me on Anchor FM, there should be a Facebook tab uh, on my uh, Anchor FM uh, homepage, if you will, uh, where this uh, podcast is. Uh, if you key through that tab, you should it should bring you to my uh, Facebook page, The Rugby Gods Podcast. So, you know, please give me a like or a follow there. That would be great. Uh, and please send me a private message and or a comment if you want to as well. Uh, I'd love to talk rugby with you. Um, anything else that I want? Not really. Um, so, yeah, doing this on Anchor FM, like I just said. Uh, and you can, there's, if, there's probably, a, the, the podcast is available, I think, on about five, six, seven different platforms, podcasting platforms. Uh, and I prefer or I generally listen, if I go back and listen to these, just to make sure the quality is alright, um, I usually listen to them on uh, Spotify, along with many other podcasts that I enjoy. So, you know, I'd recommend, you know, Spotify for listening to this podcast. Uh, and again, you know, um, if you want to, uh, follow me there. 
Um, I've got a Spotify uh, page, the Rapey Gods Podcast. Uh, anything else to talk about? Not really. Uh, I guess maybe one shout out to uh, the Rugby Pass. So uh, I'm living in Taiwan at present, so pretty hard to get rugby content on the TV as such, on, on cable television. Uh, it is accessible, uh, but it's a little bit difficult. Uh, so the Rugby Pass really comes in handy there, um, you know, for expats or people overseas who are interested in rugby. Uh, and after or leading into the first round of the Mitre 10 Cup, I noticed that I couldn't access any of the games. I was essentially geo-blocked. So I sent an email to um, Rugby Pass, and they got back to me after a few days. Uh, basically, they apologized, and they fixed the situation. So I was able to watch uh, you know, full matches and or uh, condensed highlights of all of the um, Mighty 10 Cup games for round two. So thank you very much to the Rugby Pass there for, um, you know, taking in some feedback, um, you know, playing around with uh, whatever needed to be played around with, uh, and then giving me access to the content. So very speedy, very good service. Thank you very much for doing that. So shout out to the Rugby Pass. Uh, it's a really great little service. Um, so if you can, you know, have a look at it, see if it's good for you, see if it's good for your rugby viewing. So yeah, leaving it at that. Thank you very much. Uh, I hope things are well in your life. I hope you're doing good things. And yeah, I hope you're staying positive. And uh, yeah, just good luck with everything that you're doing. Hopefully, uh, you know, if you're in a good position, you're feeling good, then, uh, you know, you can do good things for people around you. Uh, you know, that's always a good thing, right? So yeah, peace out there. Thanks a lot. Good luck with your rugby. Good luck with your life. And I will probably see you next week. Pretty much at the moment, just doing you know one podcast a week on a Monday. Um, might be a bonus podcast on a Thursday and or Friday if I have the motivation, but more significantly if I have the time, which I'm a little bit stressed for at the moment. Uh, but definitely doing the Monday podcast like this one every week. Uh, maybe a surprise second one towards the end of the week, but I wouldn't count on it. Uh, so yeah, uh, I hope things go well uh, for your rugby. All right, kakite anoa. I'll see you later.